is really well, strong and mighty. Let's continue to praise him this morning. Amen. Our God is great, isn't he? You know what's so great? To hear everybody singing like that. You know what? I was saying something last night. I was bragging on a praise. Forgive me. I was bragging some of our own, I suppose. Feel free. Feel free. Yeah, good. <laughs> Let me tell you what we said. You know why I love praising God here? And I hear that from about everybody at some time. You know what's great about this group? Is that they understand something about praise. You see, a lot of people come together when they praise the Lord in a lot of church services around. And you know what? The congregation is the audience. It's hearing these guys perform and God is the one that's listening, right? Wrong. God is the audience. You're the performers. We're the performers. And these guys are leading. And you know what I praise the Lord about? They know that. They do, don't they? You know what I praise Him too? We know that. We're not the audience. God is. And everybody was singing a while ago with their heart to our Lord. And I really appreciate that. It's great to be worshiping here together, isn't it? Lord, I thank you so much that we have come here this morning, Lord, to praise you. Lord, we come here this morning to, to see you, to worship you. And Lord, we want everything to be done and said here today be because of you, because of your love, because of your your love for each and every person that's here today. Lord, we, we, we bask in that. And Lord, I pray that everything we say and hear this morning is pleasing to you. Because Lord, we come to hear today as your children having been saved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Him and Him only. And so, Lord, we just want to be seen as totally and completely sold out for you this morning, Lord. All the noise of the world, all the distractions are them being removed because we're in the presence of God. And we're here this morning, Lord, to hear you, see what you say to us as we meet you in your word and in spirit and in truth. May it all, Lord, be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been in Hebrews, and uh, turn that right side up, I'll be able to read it. I'll read a whole lot better that way. You know, last week we, we, we came to this part where we were talking about how great a salvation it is. You know, how could we turn away from that? And yet, somehow or another, we've drifted. Remember that talk about the drifting away? I'm going to read that to you this morning. Then we're going to pick up this morning in verse 5. So if you have your Bible there, we're in Hebrews 2. And I'm going to pick up in 1, which is where we were last week, where we're going to take on this morning and talk about 5 on. Let me just read last week. I'll begin there. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by Gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Oh, Lord, Eddie, is our understanding to his words that we've read here and we're going to talk about today. Um, let me start just a little bit. Long, long ago, when I was in college, um, I was a major, and my majors were in business and, and uh, economics. And in doing that, we were always analyzing these economic models of the best-run companies. You ever done that? I'm not going to bore you with this, but let me tell you why we did all that. We looked at GM, Ford, Exxon. Remember all these? Eastman Kodak? That was a great one. reason we, we, we wanted to do all that, IBM, GE, AT&T. And then we started getting all these books published that told us how the best-run companies are run. And here's the thing. Everybody landed on it. I actually went through the Eastman Codex and went through Saatchi and Saatchi. Saatchi and Saatchi was the largest advertising company in the world. And then when they split them up, they'd become so great that they were the two largest uh, advertising companies in the world. And they had these courses that taught us how to keep our eyes on the objective. It was all about management by objective. You had to keep that objective clear in mind and whatever you did. And then you, you drew people in with your vision to follow that. So you could, re- And that's how all the big companies did it. They kept their eyes on their objective. And they had methods, the strategic and tactical methods to follow what that main objective is. And this, that was your strategy. And then all the tactics behind it. I don't want to bore you with all that. Then they came up with all these books. And, I, you know, I, I really didn't have time to read them when they came out. One of them that came out in the 70s, I can't remember the name right now, but it's the 10 best-run companies and how they did it. So I was working on a big project in, in California in Silicon Valley, and, and then when we got, by the time I got around to reading it, all those 10 companies weren't the big, best 10 companies anymore. What happened? They lost their eyes on their objectives. You know, and if you go and you look at the... At the Oh, I'll tell you one of my favorite ones. Can I just divert here on that? You remember um, Collins, Jim Collins' book, From great, from Good to Great? Remember that one? Did you ever read that one? Yeah, that's kind of a classic. And he brought out in there one thing that really amazed me. I wanted to get a, I really wanted to read it for this one thing. He calls it the Stockdale Syndrome. You know what that is? Jim Stockdale was the uh, highest ranking POW in Vietnam War. And what he did to lead people through all of that is just amazing. But he made a statement, and I scribbled it down here. So here's what it was based on. He was so successful in leading people, keeping his eye on the objective, which was to live. And here's what he said. The premise was you must uh, confront the brutal reality of your situation and have faith that you will prevail to the end. Wow, that's keeping your eyes on on the objective, isn't it? Faith in it. What happens? Jim Stockdale was one of the greatest war heroes that ever lived. But he's, he's not here anymore. He's gone home. And I still hold him in high esteem. But his objective was to live, and he's dead now. That's not to be discredited him at all. But his objective was not the right objective, was it? If you go back and you look at the companies that we've looked at all these years, what were the top ten in 1970, the top ten in 1990, 80, whatever, pick them, 
If you were to look at them now, they're not in the top ten anymore. What happened? Wrong objective? Or did that management by objective theorem not work? What's going on here? Hmm. Everybody looks kind of serious. Are you mad at me? <laughs> if you went and looked at the top ten companies in the world, financial successes, do you know what you would find? The top ten now are not the same ones even close. As a matter of fact, of the top ten, seven of them are in China. So things have changed a little bit. Isn't it? Has the objective changed? I can tell you this. I know this by history's talking to us through this last 60 years. The objective is going to be different 10 years from now, too. And these companies will probably be gone. What's the eternal objective? Why aren't we following that? What is it? That's what Hebrews 2 is going to tell us. God has an objective for us to keep our eyes on forever and ever. Because and here's the thing about God's objective. It's eternal. It's life eternal. So what is it? What are we supposed to be doing? That's what's in Hebrews 2. I want to tell you about that. Um, you know, I thought about this too, trying to be poetic maybe too much. What happened to all those objectives? They drifted away from them, didn't they? <laughs> and they didn't really have a place to go back. Here's the only thing I do know for certain. God has given us the prime objective, one to keep our eyes on, that's eternal forever and ever, it's service to him. I know that. But he has made a way for us to get back to it if we've drifted away. Amen? And we know what that is. We're going to find that. Let's talk about that. God created a grand objective for man. And even though and though we may have drifted away, he has made a way back. And he's made a way to return to him saved forever. And by one who is superior to everything there is. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what we've been reading in Hebrews, isn't it? He's superior to everything, to any plan that man can come up with. And to the extent that he says, if we don't follow his strategy, his management, or maybe that's the wrong word, but maybe he's not following that, then how should, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that he's already given us? And that's what we read here in Hebrews, isn't it? You know what? I hope you guys don't mind. I wore this for the, I wore this for the rain, not for preaching. That okay? Good. Um, God made a plan for us, and he has an objective for us, a purpose for us. And you know what? He gave it to us at creation. Huh, what a, a place to start, like we said in Sunday school this morning. You know, when was the beginning? In the beginning. Yeah, that's what we said this morning, isn't it? And God gave it to us then. Let me tell you what. He had an objective for, objective for you and me that we're to keep our eyes focused on and our, our seeking. And you know what? It's glorious. It's amazing. Um, you ever wonder, what did God make us to do? What is our? What are we supposed to be doing? What are, what are we doing here? Why did he make us? Okay. It's, it's in this passage we're going to read that he, he tells the worshipers in this small congregation that's being beaten on. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? The world's beating them up. And all those gathering here today, he's talking to us too, isn't he? So here's where he starts. You remember this argument we just had about Christ's superiority over the angels? He goes back to the angels. Why in the world are we hung up on all these angels? Huh. Nobody's laughing and nobody's even concerned about that. Okay. He's asking us to do a little bit of 
biblical theology. Huh. It means theology, as we said this morning in Sunday school, theology means knowledge of God. So he's asking us to go and, and beef up our knowledge of God. And he wants us to read scripture according to the way he wrote it. He gave us the plan in the beginning and then tells us how to get there all the way through the Bible, all the way to the end. That's the whole Bible, considering the whole thing. So Hebrews uh, 2.5 says, God never promised angels to be in charge of God's created order. Shocker. God's storyline that began in, in Genesis tells us that the earth management was given to Adam and Eve. We actually talked about that a little bit this morning, too. Do you know that? He gave the management of this whole earth, of his kingdom, what he created, to Adam and Eve. That is, to humanity. That'd be people. Then look at 20. Uh, he, he says this in uh, uh, Genesis. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him male and female. God's ultimate objective for man was to manage his creation. We're to do what God created in all his glory. We're the ones in charge of it. Hmm. I don't know. Have anybody here been falling down on the job? There's a reason for that. We're going to find that here too. It, you know, it appears that until Christ comes back, angels co-minister in the present world under God's dictation. God's the one that's calling the shots, always has and always will. And you know what? Remember when in, in Jacob's vision when he saw the, the, the angels coming up and down the ladder? Guess what they're doing? They're managing God's creation. So they're the ones that are doing it. There's an angelical management team in place, folks, and they're at work doing what we're supposed to be doing. And let me tell you what, it's kind of cool. We were talking about how's the church organized last night at a meeting, and you know, and, and their, their org chart has um, angel princes, Michael, if you will, the archangel Michael, presiding over all of these ranks and to administer God's will and, and combat every evil spirits, according to Daniel 10 and Ephesians 6 is where you can go find all of that. The angel's administration is so well executed, it's done so right, that you would think that they're supposed to administer forever and ever. They're doing such a great job for God, right? But that's not the case. Because verse 5 begins, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Angels are not going to rule the world. They are God's creation to come. The one that's coming. If God doesn't use angels in the world, then who is he going to use? Who are you going to call? And the answer comes really as a surprise to about everybody who reads this and dwells on it. It's man. Man's the one that's going to be running his creation. Boy, there's a lot of things here we got to talk about, isn't it? I mean, but look at who, he, who the Hebrews is writing to. We always have to keep that in context. Here is this little church in the, in, in the whole world, this little bitty church no one's ever heard, ever heard of. We don't even know who they were today or exactly where they were. But they were being persecuted, and they thought themselves so insignificant. Couldn't ever be a part of anything that God has planned. And he's telling them this. This little insignificant church 
there, and maybe even this little insignificant church here, the one there was just this little bitty speck in, in, in the Roman-ruled world, and yet they were going to manage the world when Christ comes back. Huh, that's you and me. How you doing on your studying? We have to do it according to his plan and according to what he says. The ultimate objective in the church is in sync with the original objective of God for humanity. And here, his proof is in this quotation uh, of God uh, is in Psalm 8. That's where he quotes, actually, Psalm 8 in uh, verse 6. He says, it has been testified somewhere, and it is, it's in Psalm 8. You should go read that. Uh, it's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, God, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him just a little little uh, while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. You know what? This, this declaration of God is incredible. It, it's It's unbelievable. It can only be appreciated in the full context of the psalm that it was written about. Um, and here's the thing. So I'm going to read that to you. Uh, we're going to read Psalm 8 here in, in its entirety. Um, it doesn't take long, don't worry. We'll be out before the ravens. It, it's, um, it's a picture of the psalmist who's come before God and he's looking at the sky. I know a lot of people here do that. He's looking at how, how incredible all this universe is. We actually said that this morning too. You know, here we are, this little bitty speck, but God has made all this universe in, in, in a clear sky. <laughs> if it's, you know, we don't see much of those around here, but if you can get out where there's clear skies, it's just, it's, it's incredible. All, all that you can see and how wonderful God is. And how then God did that, how worthy of praise he is. I don't know if you can ever, if you ever had an experience like that, but you should. Um, so think about this. I'm going to read this psalm. Think about that. Walk a while in his shoes. This, this psalm is sitting there looking at the sky. He says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you've established strength because of your foes to, to, to still the enemy and, and the avenger and when I look at your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. You know, here's this guy, and I hope you are too, like him, standing in awe before the creator of the earth and seeing what he's done. And we just see a little bit of it through our eyes. And here's the thing. It's always been that way. Before we were, it's been that way. And it always will be. And then he gave it. And here's the thing. Knowing that it was that way before we were ever born, how did we miss it? How did that happen? But you know what? If we get it going to God's word, he actually told us that. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, and he he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that now moves on the earth. God's original intention, his original objective for his people is just amazing. Especially what we know about creation today, isn't it? Think about this psalmist looking up. And yet today, he didn't have a a telescopes or a Hubble or or he didn't have all the the infrared devices we have for measuring all this vastness, which we still can't measure, can't even think about it. But through all this modern technology, we see our planet spinning. He couldn't see that. We we see it, and it's it's around the sun. He really couldn't tell that was going on, could he? Um, and And here's the thing. He didn't really understand that we are one of millions and and millions of suns in our galaxy and that the galaxy is one of millions and millions of galaxies we we don't even see or can't really know about. And he asked the same question, and I think we should be asking the same thing. So what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you even care for him? How could God possibly care about you and me with all of these things he's created? And yet he does. So much so that he even sent his son to die for you and me. He knows everything about you and me. He knows everything. Your thoughts before you before you think them. Your words before you say them. He knows everything about you. And he cares about you and loves about you so much that he sent his son to die. To conquer death so that you could be with him forever. Wow. What a God. That's more awesome than looking at everything he's created, isn't it? To have thoughts like that, those are awesome thoughts. Think of our position. You made him a little lower than the angels. Infinitely small man is only lower than the angels. And here's the thing that really makes me really think about that one is that we're in a physical body. And the angels are in a spiritual body. So man is limited uh, in a way that angels aren't and has less physical power. What an, ex- an amazing position for us to be in temporarily. Oh, it's temporarily. We're going to come back to that one in just a minute. Think of man's astonishing honor. What an honor for us as, as, as people, as individuals, as, as humans. He said, you crowned him with glory and honor. Adam and Eve were the king and queen of the whole world. That's, that's some kind of royalty, isn't it? And he put them in this glorious paradise, and they got to walk with God. That's who man created. I mean, who God created. That's who he created man to be. And, and look at the incredible authority. He says, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Wow. This was given to mankind, and that's back in Genesis one twenty eight. 28. Man was given the authority to run God's creation. Wow. Not not quite trained for that, do you think? 
I don't think any of those management by objective courses could have come close to that, do you? But God did it. So poetically speaking, I, I, I took this from, uh, uh, I'm going to be able to blame this on somebody else. William Lane says, um, uh, poetically, oh, he, he said, Adam and Eve were God's creature, king and creature queen with responsibility for ordering creation under the lordship of God. Pretty succinct, right on target, I think. And, and he said, poetically speaking, Adam was an august creature with all things put in subjection to him, wearing the very sun as a diadem. Well, there's a thought, isn't it? Diadem was a crown. Very, uh, wearing the sun like that, treading the very stars like unconsidered dust beneath his feet. The original objective of God, to say the least, was unbelievable, stupendous, incredible. What else can you say? That was his objection for us, objective for us. And it's his objective to be carried out as the descendants of Adam. How does that work? You know, if, if we'd done that, if, if we were asked that question this morning, I wish you guys, everybody could have been there in Sunday school this morning. We had a good time, didn't we? You know what? The, the question was, so what would it be like if there wasn't sin in the world, if Adam hadn't fallen down, if he had missed his objective? You know, what would it be like? Well, you know, one comment was, well, we sure would be dressed different. That's true. And you know what? And we would have the same amazing position that Adam and Eve had. We'd be kings and queens in charge of the whole world, living in his glory and his love. So the message to this little church that was besieged by the world around it, oh, am I talking about back in Rome or am I talking here? is that even though we may feel insignificant, we aren't. We're in God's image. He made us like him to fill in the blanks where he needed the blanks filled in, but made in his image. And you know, here's the thing, and he cares. He cares about each and every person here more than we can even know. He cares, and he loves us, and he has a plan for us. So, as, as grand and encouraging as God's original objective for us was, something's gone wrong. Don't feel like we're in control, do you? Of the earth? Hmm, evidently not. And he, he, he makes his own commentary, on, on uh, the writer does on Psalm, in the second part of verse 8, he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. That's us. And a comment pointing to the preceding line of that says, putting everything in a subjection under his feet. There's nothing in the world that's not under man's control. Nothing. Nothing. Did you hear that? There's nothing in the world that's not under man's control. Hold it. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Do you see that? I don't. You know, I say, whoa, whoa, that's not true at all. Then he explains it in the next verse, and he says, At present, ah, okay, now back to reality here. At present, we do not see, uh, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Well, you got that right. Adam sinned, and the consequences of his disobedience was that God, his God-given control, his dominion, became distorted. 
I guess you can say he got fired. No, he had to step down, didn't he? Still here. So man's rule over creation has, through the centuries, become a disaster. Ecologically, we can see that, can't we? But his control of everything around us has become a disaster. And his reign over the animal world, one thing we said in a meeting last night was is that, you know, you have to go out. We, we try to intimidate our, our, well, our way through the world by, you know, hunting. And we, we tell the animals, you know, shape up or I'll wear you. Or, or the animal might answer back, or I'll eat you. You know, we really don't have the control that we did. And that, that's, uh... so look, the problem really is, is that man can't rule. He can't rule in his current condition. He can't rule over, over himself, let alone others. And the statement that uh, you hear all the time in politics and in business, is it, in business is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Oh. Um, you know, G.K. Chesterton, did you ever read him? He keeps coming up and go back to him. He's, a, he's kind of more of a philosopher than anything, I think. But he says, whatever is, is or is not true about men, there's one thing certain. Man is not what he was meant to be. That's true. Everybody can see that. Man is not what God created him to be. So what about God's original objective? Uh, will we ever be able to show that our unproven significance is really significant are we ever uh, are we ever going to be able to get out of this mess and let me tell you what there's an answer to that one word one word yes there is a way and uh, Look at the transition. There's a transition between 8 and 9. It says, At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But look at what comes. But we see him. Who is him? It's Jesus Christ. You know what? We do not see Je- we We don't see, but we do see Jesus. Now that answers a lot of questions we've had today and earlier today in the Sunday school class and everything is that we can't see Everything clearly. We can't know everything there is to know. But here's the thing. You want to you see? See Jesus. Look at him. That's all that matters, isn't it? We, there's no way we can know all the details about the world around us, about the universe that God made. But here's the thing. We can see what we are to do, and we can see the great plan that he has for us and where he wants us to be, and that's in Jesus Christ, and he's given us that. If you receive Jesus Christ, he's given that to you. And you can know what he wants you to do, but you have to go to him. And he's given everything right here in his word. What I call his spoken word is printed right here for us. We can carry with us. So, you know what? You see, Psalm 8 was not only a celebration of God's universe and everything about it, but you know what else it's called by theologians? A messianic psalm. You see, it really wasn't about the universe as much as it is, but it's more about Jesus. And just talking about Jesus right here in Psalm 8. So here's the thing. You want to see God's universe in in your perspective, in your right way? Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And you do that through his word. You know, all the way through there, he calls himself the son of man. Do you know what Jesus' favorite term for himself was? Son of man. He was God incarnate. So it's talking about Jesus. 
Look at verse 9. It starts with, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. It was That was fulfilled in his incarnation. <laughs> Here's the thing. I read this to you. And I can't remember who I read this from. But he said, When, when the, the height of exaltation for man is, in, uh, is being made a little lower than the angels, but for Jesus, it was the depth of his humiliation. Jesus became a man. Pretty humble, isn't it? And for just a little while, it says, Jesus was made lower than the angels. Whoa. Why was that? Are you tracking here? Why was that? Can we ask that question? Yeah, because there's a reason. Jesus stooped down uh, to the height of man's glory. He died a death. And if you died with him, then you're raised up to glory with him. Jesus sits at the right hand of God now. And when he came down here, he takes us with him. We too were made a little lower than the angels, but someday we're going to be with him. He's the boss. I have a hat that says Jesus is the boss. Anybody want to borrow that? Yeah, I have a lot of hats, by the way. I don't know if it's this kind of glory they're trying to cover up or what. But you know, a bald man gets a lot of hats, but I got a lot of good ones, and that's one of them. Jesus is boss, isn't he? He's the one that's in, in, in control. And Jesus stooped down to reach down to man in Jesus' glory, in man's glory, which isn't much. And then it says that Jesus did that. This is the first time Jesus is used in the book of Hebrews. And you know why that is? Because we're talking about angels and the levels and all that kind of thing. This is the time Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, to the humanity, to you and me. Jesus identified with you and me in all of our lowliness. And then he took us out of it. Or he takes us out. All who will believe and will accept him. The next phrase, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy because of the suffering of death. Paul put it this way, in being uh, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has made. God, uh, therefore, God was highly exalted. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Do you get that? God has given him the glory, raised him up. We use that term a lot, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth, and um, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that in Christ, man's glory potential is realized through Jesus. That's how we get restored. That's how we get back to work. That's how we get back to the main objective is through Jesus. He's taken us there through His death when He was low as us, and then He conquered that death to take us back. To, is this is this making sense? Are you seeing Jesus in this? And he's everywhere, all the way through the Bible. You know what? As we look around us now, we may not see everything is, is subject to us, which is what the psalm says, what Hebrews says. But we can see Jesus exalted, right? We look to him, which we're going to be with him someday. And that's man's fulfilling God's original objective for us. The management objective of God is that we rule the creation with Jesus. Jesus is the way that we get to glory. 
So the way this happens is revealed in the final phrase of verse 9. It says that, so by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, look, taste is something that we, we need to... We need to get a hold of. We almost talked about this this morning. Taste is something, it's, it's not like we taste that. Mm, that sounds good. You know, I, I like that. It's got a nice ring and whatever, whatever you do when you taste food. But that's not what this means. Taste means in, in the, the idiom, the Hebrew idiom, that this, this is actually um, it's been translated into the Greek. It uses the same kind of thing. You, It actually becomes a part of you. It's a becoming. It's a being thing. It's, it's a verb like is, you know. So when, you, when, you, when you taste something, it becomes a part of you. It's an exchange. It's, it's like partaking. Am I making sense? Yeah? No, tell me. We're used to talking out loud. It, it, it's, when I partake of something, when Jesus partakes of something, he, takes, he puts a part of him in you, and he puts part of you in him. That's a partaking. That's an exchanging so that the two of you become one. It's, a, it's becoming one thing. It's a unity thing. Is that making sense now? That's what Jesus, when we partake, when we were taken of the Lord's Supper a while ago, what did we do? We took the bread and we took the wine or the juice and it was taking Jesus into us in our hearts, symbolically, right? It was a partaking with Jesus. He takes us in and we take him in and we become one. That's what's going on here. That's how this management objective gets fulfilled. I hope that's not too complicated. So the, the writer of Hebrews is telling that, that this, this little church, this, under all the pressure from all the world around it, that you are significant because God has made you, and God has made you a major part of his plan by taking you in and you taking him in. Is that making sense now? Yeah, that's who we are. And that's what we're here to do. You know, know this, folks. God has put you on his executive management team. On his management team of everything that he created. And you know what? This idea of thinking that we're insignificant, it's an illusion. It's not true at all. It's something that comes from the world. You know, I, I think the world sometimes just takes us in and, and tricks us. And this illusion thing has gotten a hold and turned our, our hearts cold. And it's it's only temporary. While we're waiting for him, we're in this world like that. But know this, we're already a part of him. Are we not? Yeah, we are. And he's a part of us. Um, you know... We, we look in the heavens and we think we're so insignificant and yet we aren't. We, we, we look at, to God, to Jesus, and we realize, yeah, we are important because God has died for us. God himself, really. And he has an ultimate objective uh, for us that no angel can attain. Yeah, we were made a little lower than the angels, but someday we're going to be running the place. But Jesus is our head. And there's no angel that's going to be able to even understand that, is there? And let me tell you this. When we think about here we are on this earth waiting for Jesus to return, I can, I'll promise you, there's no president, there's no emir, there's no king, there's no head of state anywhere, any place, anything that can even think about how small they are compared to what Christ is going to do with us. Think about it. I wasn't worried at all about the management of any country or any place or anything because, you know what, we've already been put in place somewhere else 
in Christ Jesus. And here's the best part. (laughs) He says, we reign in him and he's in us when? Now? Yeah, there's the right answer. So when is Jesus our Lord? When is he our Savior? When is he reigning in us? Now. Yeah, let me tell you what. His reign that we're going to be a part of has already begun. Even though we're here. Christ on the cross is the measure of that worth. Of how important that is. Christ on the throne is a prophecy fulfilled about the significance of your my being a part of him and him being a part of us. He already reigns and we reign with him. He may still be here in this world, but you know what's coming, don't you? Are you a part of that? You claim him as Lord and Savior? Reign with him? You know what? That ought to give you comfort and peace that's beyond any human understanding. I hope it does. Yeah? Does it? Um, You know what? I was thinking about this. If, If you've traveled at all, if you haven't, let me tell you, you can go to the to the to the these major cities, you know, that are in control of the whole world. You go up to New York, you know, and have all these tall skyscrapers. You can go to places I haven't been, even Dubai, Shanghai, or all these places that have all these tall skyscrapers. You can walk down there just thinking how small that you are. And you know what? Maybe even here in Baltimore, you might work in the in the you know the shadows of some granite landmark or, or whatever you know we do here. And you know what? You think how unimportant that you are? I have one thing to say to you. Stop it. Just stop it. You know what? God has called you. And if you've received him and you're a part of his reigning forever and ever, praise the Lord for that. Let him in if you haven't. You want to be a part of that? I hope you would want to be a part of that for your glory. It's for his glory that we do it. His glory. By the authority on God's word, let me tell you what, you are important and you're of infinite value to him or he wouldn't have done, he would not have come to you and given you the gift of salvation. Someday you will be crowned and you'll be crowned with glory and honor. And let me tell you this, according to this, what we just read in Hebrews, everything will be put under your feet because you're going to be in charge of it. So... You may say right now, I don't don't know. I can't really see that. Uh, But let me ask you this. Can you see Jesus? That's all that matters, isn't it? We keep our eyes on him because someday we're going to be reigning together to his glory forever and ever. That's what God's objective for you is. And your objective in his management program is for his glory what it's all about, isn't it? Amen? Lord, I thank you so much that you already have a plan for each and every person here, Lord. It's your plan, not ours. I just praise you, Lord, and all of us praise you that we can come and reign with you someday. Because, Lord, you care about us so much. Oh, Lord, may we live to reflect your glory even now. Because your reign has already begun. And praise you, Lord, we're a part of it. Lord, may we just live to your glory according to your plan, even though we may not know every detail, Lord. May we just look to Jesus and know, Lord, that we're partaking you in all that we do. All of it, Lord, for your glory.
you know, we, we say this every week, and, and I want you to understand that this time we've heard God's Word, you know, however it's moving in your heart, however He's moving in your heart, this is a time of response. So however the Lord's moving in your heart to respond to Him, we're going to sing a hymn of response, which is meant for us to reflect on Him, on His truth, on His presence in our lives. And so you want to thank Him, you want to give Him that, that gratitude, sing these songs, and, and right there in your chair, or if you want to come and share any of that with us, but respond to Him as the Lord's and He is the God of glory. He is the God that has saved you. He's the God that has called you to His work, His work. His glory. Sing this hymn. If you want to stand, sing this hymn and, and respond to him in your heart as he leads you.
Thank you.